Hello. Thank you, James and Caroline. And yeah, thank you, Richard, um, who not only asked me to speak, but gave me the title of perfection, which I'm sure is a huge compliment. Um, Certainly considering my husband, last time he asked me to give a talk, um, this topic was evil. So, (laughs) yeah. But I don't know about you, I I certainly do know a thing or two about attempting perfection. Clearly, I get nowhere near it. But it doesn't mean there aren't umpteen different areas in which I set myself these hugely high standards. And one example of this was um, chatting to a friend a year or two ago um, about organising parties. And she is an artist and uh, not brilliantly organised, shall we say. So while she loves parties, the hassle and aggro of the arrangements... Um, or something of a, of a chore and um, sort of slightly dropped the hint that for her the dream scenario would be if somebody else were to plan the party for her. So I stepped in for her next birthday um, and thought I was doing a great job. I managed to find a beautiful narrow boat up in Little Venice near Camden going half price. I arranged a group of us to, you know, to fund it and be there and we were all in different fancy dress costumes in a bar in Camden. So she walked in and would gradually discover that that person behind the newspaper is actually her brother and the guy with the funny hat is actually her friend and um, we all amassed onto the boat I'd cooked dinner it was great it seemed to be going swimmingly brilliant um, birthday cake cocktails the works dropped most of the lot then off at one of the tube stations and six of us were then going to stay the night on this boat with their little tiny fold-down beds which was great, until it turned out that the six that I'd suggested stayed on, um, the six we were invited to stay, one of that number was her lovely boyfriend, now ex-boyfriend, as of the night before. So this is a little bit tense. Um, and the combination of the stress of close proximity with the ex, shock of a surprise party that she literally had no idea was happening, and the motion of the boat meant she was violently ill all night. <laughs> Which with our limited bathroom facilities and the fact that one of us, <coughs> or a few of us, were playing twist on the roof didn't help so far from perfect and the truth is I am actually quite a try hard I think I've struggled for years with attempting perfection in all too many different areas and the thing is I think my faith just adds to that if I'm really honest it can feel like Christianity is just another area to try to get right your relationship with God's just something else that somehow you're meant to be working on and sorting and getting really good And in fact, it can even feel like God's telling you to ace everything else. As Christians, to be good and missional in the workplace, you've got to be the best at your job. You know, you've got to honour God by being flipping brilliant at everything. And this passage sounds like it says the same, doesn't it? Verse 48 says, Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. This is my slight issue with that song. I don't know if you know the one, the kids song with their Jesus, you're my superhero song, which whilst I do love the actions, uh, it, I've always had a problem with because it tends to confound again this myth that Jesus is perfect. We're told to be like Jesus. Therefore, we're just attempting to be a superhero ourselves. So this morning, let's unpack that a little bit, shall we? I'm going to look at what this huge challenge is and yet look at the even bigger gift of grace. And then look again at this passage's practical advice a bit on what it actually looks like to live a life um, with and through this superhero, Jesus. I wonder what areas you are attempting to pursue perfection in. With New Year's resolutions perhaps to chivy you in the right direction. Perhaps you're after a Nigella Lawson domestic perfection. 
or a Brad Pitt, chiseled good looks type of perfection, a Richard Branson, pioneering businessy kind of perfection, or even a Mother Teresa philanthropic perfection. But what sort of perfection do we think Jesus is talking about in this passage? In fact, he's not just talking about it, he's commanding us to attain this kind of perfection. And I think it's the character, isn't it? We are to be aiming for perfection in our inner selves, not just the outer showy stuff, running after perfect characters in our thoughts and hearts. And my guess is that whilst some of you may, like me, be struggling with real striving in this area too, others of us may have the opposite problem. Others of us may not really be that bothered about um, this inner stuff in particular. Perhaps far from striving after getting this stuff right, we actually are working all the harder at the outside stuff to distract others, ourselves, and maybe even God from perhaps the rather murky inner goings-on. But this bit of Matthew's Gospel, this is actually quoting Jesus. It's Jesus' own words, which I sort of wish it wasn't, because if it was one of Richard's sermons, perhaps we could shrug it off a bit and go, well, it's a little OTT, let's be honest. But unfortunately, this hard-line passage, this is Jesus. It literally is Gospel. Look at verse 28 and 30. He says it's better to chop off a bit of your own body rather than make a mistake. I mean, it talks about gouging out eyes. It's pretty graphic. It's pretty full on. And we might hope that Jesus would say that the Jews had gone a bit overboard with their 613 laws about virtuous living. But don't worry, it's not that bad, really. But far from it, in verses 17 to 20, he says he hasn't time to change even the smallest letter, even one iota. Instead, he says, we are to obey all of Scripture. He's come to fulfill it, and we are to obey it and to um, be obedient to the very core of it, in our very hearts, not just in terms of our actions, but our very selves. Have you murdered? Or have you been angry with someone? Have you had an affair? Or have you fancied someone other than your spouse? Have you broken a promise? Or said yes to something when you've really no intention of doing it? Have you shown justice, but nothing really more? Have you shown love, but only really to your friends? Even if your actions have been blameless, and whose have, then what about your heart? But the thing is, it doesn't matter if you score 9 out of 10 or 0 out of 10 in the virtue stakes. We've all fallen short. None of us are perfect, and so none of us deserve heaven. We're all sunk. And whilst all other world religions, they construct this ladder, if you will, up towards God. And if we do certain things or achieve certain steps to do with virtuous living, then it's as if we're walking up this ladder, getting closer to God. Here we see this turned on its head. Because Jesus says, unless you are totally perfect, you're never going to get up that ladder. You're never going to get close enough to God. It's not going to happen. But don't give up. Don't worry, let's not tune out there. Don't start thinking about your lunch and just go away disheartened. Stay with me because there is good news. There is amazing news. We are not superheroes. We're never going to be. But we're the ones that need rescuing by the ultimate superhero, Jesus. And in Jesus, God came down that ladder to us. This is the only religion that says that, really. 
where it says, he became one of us. God doesn't sit aloof telling us to find him high up in the clouds if we try really hard and do really well. Jesus came down and lived the only perfect life ever lived. As if he was actually the only one good enough to climb that ladder to God. But he actually smashed that ladder to bits. And it's as if that wooden ladder got reconstructed into that torture instrument, the cross. And Jesus was brutally killed, paying the price for all of the things that we've got wrong, all humanity's sin, past, present, and future. He took the blame and paid the penalty. And three days later, conquering death, said, there's no need for a ladder. I am with you now and always. God is with you and you can be with God. You don't need to try to earn it, to try to climb the ladder of virtue. You can't. Instead, say yes to Jesus, the one who made the way to God and is the way to God. And as we emulate this perfect superhero, we do become more like him. The Holy Spirit of God who lived in Jesus lives in us. I find that bizarre to get my head around. Even when we, we talk about our own spirits, don't we sometimes, you know, somebody's spirit, they're very cool. That spirit of Jesus is the same spirit in you and me today. This doesn't mean we'll never put a foot wrong again, as I'm sure we all, many of us know far too well. But it does mean that we are entirely forgiven and washed clean, whiter than snow, the Bible says. And we are seen as by God as perfect in that moment of repentance. If in your heart right now you are recognizing Jesus as the real hero and you're sorry for your own wrong thinking and wrongdoing, then guess what? God is smiling down on you. And right now he is saying, you are perfect. You are accepted. I cannot love you any more than I do right now. I love you completely, as much as anyone has ever been loved. You are perfectly loved. You've got nothing to prove. You're loved. We are welcomed into the embrace, which is sort of what this this image here is just a part of, of that embrace that God welcomes us into. And it's out of this place of security that we start to live our lives differently. So as we move to a close and a much-needed cup of coffee, let's just look briefly at these three different areas that the passage highlights about how we can live these different lives, these Jesus-shaped lives. And for some of us, it's probably an inch-by-inch thing um, over many, many years, and we're all being shaped by God, the potter, aren't we? But for some of us, there may also be something a bit more radical, a bit more major, that isn't something to wait for, but is something to make the decision on, maybe even this morning. There might be something significant to say yes to or something significant to say no to. So let's just sort of listen to God as I, as I speak. Just see if there's anything that sort of crops up in your head and you think, oh, actually, that might be a me thing. Um, and just let's be sensitive to that um, as he speaks. So we're going to look at persistent peace. This will be verse, verse 21 to 26. Um, it's labeled murder. Slightly less catchy title, perhaps, in your Bibles. But we're going to look at persistent peace. Um, Then clear commitment. That'll be verses 27 to 37, covering adultery, divorce, and oaths. And then lavish love, verses 38 to the end. 
but don't worry, I won't take all morning. So firstly, we are told to be persistently peaceful. This passage makes clear that it's not just murder that's wrong. It's anger at all. Anger violates God's commands to love. Anger is dangerous. It can lead to violence, to emotional and psychological stress, and to spiritual damage too. Do you struggle to keep your temper and say things to people you later wish you hadn't? Perhaps there were moments like this over Christmas. I know with most families, there are. Or perhaps, to be honest, you're quite proud of your ability to hold your tongue, which is great, but it's not quite enough, is it? Jesus wasn't just nice on the outside, keeping a peaceful exterior, but bubbling with anger and resentment underneath. We need to have this persistent peace, persisting in our actions, but in our hearts and thoughts too. And the only way we're really going to have that is if it's come from within, if it's come from receiving God's epic love of us. And having that deep peace in, in, our, in and with ourselves, where we know that we're accepted and loved. I know some of you who know your Bibles very well might be thinking, wow, I've done all this chat about peace. Jesus is also the one who tipped over the tables in the temple and was pretty furious then. How does that work with persistent peace? Surely I'm, like him, allowed little windows where I can be violently angry. Well, I think that is about righteous anger. And actually, to really have righteous anger, to really feel that anger over just an issue, it probably means we need all the more to be persistently peaceful in terms of our hearts and spirits. So it's not just you personally that's been violated and you're angry or resentful or lacking love. That's that's where that's coming from. But instead, it's because we're feeling so secure in ourselves, as Jesus was, that we're able to um, respond to what's not right. And yeah, let's let's be angry about injustice and hardship. Um, but let's do that from a place of persistent peace where um, that's how we come at all things. Not acting rashly, but with great love and great peace. So secondly, verses 27 to 37. All of these different areas, Jesus is saying to be clear in our commitments, isn't he? And culture has perhaps never been as fluid as it is today. Everything is liable to change at any time, from our understanding of the laws that govern the universe, guess who's been watching Theory of Everything this week, um, through to our views on moral issues. Therefore, we are used to the idea that we can jump in and out of things, from events on Facebook, maybe as a totally legitimate category, Um, we can just turn up or not turn up to things, to jobs and careers, we're all transient, Um, to friendships, to marriages. But the Bible says we should do otherwise. Verse 37 is sometimes translated, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Our creator says it is not good for us to change like the shifting shadows. And we as Christians, we have this solid ground to stand on. This perfect love anchors us in an unchanging God whose love for us is guaranteed and has no small print. So let's let our lives reflect that. Let's make wise, wholehearted, clear decisions and stand by them. Let's show that sort of integrity in our work lives, in our sex lives. Let's this year become more faithful friends, spouses and disciples. As through Jesus' example and accompaniment, we are able to. And when we get this wrong, which inevitably we will, there is grace and the ability to try again. And when we get it wrong again, 
there's more grace. And when we get it wrong again, yep, more grace still. So lastly, let's look at the lavish love which Jesus pours out upon us and wants us to share more widely. Verse 38 onwards. Jesus isn't really into justice. Can I say that in a sermon? Well, I think it's true. And I think this passage backs me up. Justice isn't enough. Jesus instead opts for grace. He goes beyond justice. He needs something more. Grace isn't just what we deserve. It's recklessly generous. Our salvation is extravagant, isn't it? And here in this passage, he asks us to love people with the same abandon, not just our friends and family, but loving our enemies, loving the person who passes off your work as theirs. Loving the politician whose views and actions you fundamentally disagree with. Loving the person who cheated on you, who stole from you, who hurt you. Let's choose to show love even when we don't feel love. Easy for me to say perhaps, but certainly a lot, lot harder for us to do. Because we're not just talking about a superficial say something nice to Auntie Mildred when she gave you a rubbish scarf for Christmas type of niceness, sort of love, an exterior We're talking about the real self-sacrificial stuff. The slap in the face kind of love that it talks about in this passage. And the only way any of us are really going to have the strength and ability to do that is if we're so filled with God's love of us that it just sort of oozes out. And far from this turning the other cheek stuff, sounding weak and like Christians are being asked to be wet blankets, we realize there's a real strength in it. It's hard. It goes against our human nature. And it's not even fair. But if you look at Gandhi or King or others, we see the power again of this approach. So let's not pursue justice in 2015. Let's go beyond that and lavishly love. Let's love so much that we can feel the cost. Let's be imaginative in who we love and how we show them that love. And let's be prayerful so that our hearts are being changed, so that we are really loving them right in thought and word and deed. So let's be persistent in peacefulness, clear in our commitments, and lavish in our love. Let's draw close to Jesus. Look at the cross stuck into our earth here in this ground. God is with us. God is for us. And my prayer for all of us this new year is that we accept the perfect one's perfect love of us and start to live it here in Chiswick. Amen.